Welcome to Behind the Deal, where you get the inside scoop on the wealth management industry's merger and acquisition activity, straight from some of the most influential deal makers in the business. In episode six, we go behind the deal with Vince Morris, the president of Resources Investment Advisors, now part of One Digital, whose firm has been involved in one of the largest deals of 2020. Welcome to Behind the Deal. I'm Mark Bruno, Managing Director at Echelon Partners, and we are delighted to have a very special guest here today, Vince Morris, the President of Resources Investment Advisors, a division of One Digital. I've known Vince for several years, and he's been involved in a number of deals over the course of his career. Uh, He's also, importantly, a major player in one of the year's largest deals when One Digital acquired Vince's firm Resources Investment Advisors way back in February. Um, So we'll talk about that deal in a little bit more detail in a bit. Uh, We'll also talk about some of Vince's experience, both as a buyer and a seller. But I think one of the most important and interesting things that we'll talk about here today is that Vince now working on integrating two companies, essentially, in an environment where everybody practically is working remotely. So how do you do that operationally? How do you do that culturally? That's not something that we have really dived into on Behind the Deal before. So Vince, thank you very much for being here today to talk about some of your recent activity and also to give us a little bit of color on what's happening in your businesses now. Yeah, great. Thanks, Mark. And and I appreciate you having me join uh, today and uh, very exciting topics and definitely timely for uh, for the uh, challenging environment that we're in. Uh, my first deal, uh, oddly enough, well, I, I built a practice. So I was a wealth advisor in retirement. Uh, advisor focused uh, on both sides of the fence, primarily on retirement, and then saw that as a bridge to the wealth management space. Uh, and my first deal was in 2010. We actually, my practice was with a large broker dealer. We utilized their RIA and just the trend that was happening in the environment back then uh, really felt it was going more advisory. And so we wanted to be able to have our own advisory business. And so we acquired a company called Resources Investment Advisors back in 2010. It really brought, um, it was more of a strategic acquisition because again, we had a specific need that we were looking for, not just revenue and EBITDA. Uh, and so we had a business model need. Uh, the RIA had a proven track record, had been around since 1987. So we felt it gave us some credibility in the market in the wealth management space. And then we also had infrastructure on the wealth management space that we were acquiring, such as a, a chief investment officer, some operations people, those type of things. So it was definitely strategic. Inside my practice then, uh, after that acquisition, we did about four more acquisitions up until about 2019. And in 2019, you know, we, we joined the league of aggregators and, and private equity world and everything else and, and started looking around for kind of a strategic partner to take us to the next level. We built uh, really through resources a platform that serviced about 32 other advisor teams nationally. And uh, we wanted to be able to be a part of something bigger, have access to capital and really do M&A deals on a larger scale. And so when we looked around in the marketplace, we found a great strategic partner in One Digital. Uh, they had a lot of the same cultural ideas that we did, what really mattered to people and, and the focus on, on the talent was inside of a company. They were also um, had a similar vision than what we did, which is really this kind of holistic um, emergence of, of health, wealth, and retirement, all as kind of one offering in, into the marketplace. And so the stars kind of aligned and, and we came together in, in February of, of 2020. 
And since then, Mark, we've done uh, 17 subsequent acquisitions in the marketplace, uh, some of which were already affiliate firms that were papered through resources. And, and uh, we talked to them about our vision and, and what the opportunity was. And then um, about six of those were other firms that we went outside of our network and were able to uh, really identify leaders in different areas of the country that uh, had a lot of overlap with the uh, One Digital Health Benefits folks. And so uh, we began, you know, having dialogue with them and, and ultimately uh, did transactions with those folks as well. Excellent. So it's been a pretty active stretch here for you, to say the least. Uh, I am curious, you mentioned those 17 acquisitions, right? So that is a lot of activity right there. Um, is there, as you were kind of looking through all of those you know, deals that you've been involved in, is there you know, a particular driving force, right? Um, you mentioned, you know, the alignment and some of the objectives that you have, but I'm curious what it is, you know, if you can talk a little bit more about the vision, right, that you're describing to some of these firms, right? Um, and also kind of what the sort of the bigger picture is that you, you know, being part of One Digital, what do you aim to be? Yeah, well, we're, we're definitely wanting to build something special in the marketplace. So we're, we're not just a roll up or serial acquire, even though we're doing a lot of deals, right? Uh, we leave a lot of deals on the table. And um, we wanted to be a part of bringing, you know, a companies or multiple companies together to one operating platform. We have a, this holistic approach and vision that we're trying to, um, trying to really market or put, put forth in the marketplace. And really it's centered around the people side of the employer relationship, right? So if you think about the American family, the two main concerns they have is how do I pay for healthcare and how do I save for retirement? And by being part of an EB retirement and wealth platform, we really think we can address the needs of, of the American uh, family. And not all firms have that same holistic kind of vision. And so, you know, what we're looking for is are retirement shops that may have EB, they may have wealth or an EB shop that may have retirement and wealth and, and those kind of combinations. And then having conversations with them around, uh, what this, what would, what it would mean to them for their growth model, their business, their future, uh, their wealth creation for themselves to be part of this larger organization and a larger vision. Excellent. No, I appreciate that. And I think you know, one of the things that's really interesting that we'll talk about in just a moment is your experience on both sides of the table on a lot of deals. Um, we'd love to learn a little bit more about how that's shaped some of your perspective and your strategy. But before we do, I do just want to ask, we've noticed, of course, that you know, the last quarter or so has been one of the most active. Um, you've obviously been very active for quite some time. Um, for a lot of the listeners to this podcast, you know, we talk about deal activity. I'm curious, how would you assess the quality of the firms right, that either you're talking to or you just know of in the marketplace right now? There's so much discussion just around volume and activity and acquiring assets, but can you talk a little bit about just the quality of the firms that are essentially the most active right now? Yeah, uh, you know, for us, um, be, being a retirement advisor is a smaller universe than just being a wealth advisor, um, and even in the EB space or employee benefit space. So, um, you know, we tend to know the, the high quality firms in our space. Uh, we do source a lot of our deals while we'll, st we'll still work with an investment banker. A lot of our deals are, are sourced uh, by ourselves where we really get to know the people within the firm. We're having a ton of conversations, you know, daily, weekly. And uh, we're looking for those key people, again, 
that have been really successful at driving organic growth, really successful at managing a business and aren't just looking to exit the business. They want to become uh, a part of something bigger in the marketplace. And, and COVID has definitely made that a lot more challenging, right? Um, you know, uh, we can have a lot of conversations on the phone or Zoom meetings, but you can't really get together. And I would say the old model was, you know, let's fly them in here, let's fly to where they're at, take them out to dinner, you know, get to, get to know them a lot more. Uh, and that has definitely been hampered over, over the last 90 days. Um, however, I still think like our activity level is probably higher because we're not flying all over the country. So we're doing more and more Zoom meetings, more and more people are in the pipeline, having discussions. The reality is too, a lot more people are probably self-evaluating, like how the markets reacted, how many more times do we want to weather this, you know, what what's going to be the longer term implications? Am I going to be able to support my business the way I wanted it to? And ultimately, we talk mostly in terms of growth. How can we accelerate the growth of that enterprise and still have that individual part of something big? And, and you know, they've still got income potential. They've still got a significant role and responsibility. They've still got wealth creation opportunities in our stock. And so, you know, how do we just fold them in and, and do it in, in more of an integrated operating platform? where we're, we're bringing their brand, their buy-in to our vision in one operating system. Excellent. No, I appreciate that. You know, the context is so helpful. It's an unbelievably unique time, right? On so many levels. But in our world, when we look at M&A activity, we're seeing a lot of the same things that you just mentioned too. So I appreciate the commentary on quality. Uh, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about just going back to some of your history and your activity, um, especially leading up to the one digital deal in February. I'm curious, how did some of your previous activity, you know, as an acquirer, at least 2010 being your first deal, right? Uh, how did that contribute to the way you approached the the one digital opportunity? Sure. Well. In my previous, as a, as a practice leader, trying to expand, you know, my AUM and revenue and EBITDA uh, for my own practice, you know, we looked at acquisition targets that were probably more exiting advisors. So they were older, you know, uh, when we acquired resources, it had $100 million of um, AUM uh, operational team of, you know, six or seven people. Uh, that advisor was probably around 63, 64 years old, you know, came on board. We did a three-year employment agreement. We did another buyout based on the success and the transition. And, you know, 30 months uh, or 30 days before the end of that employment agreement, you know, they called, they were out. So, so there wasn't any longevity there, which was fine. The way I was building the practice back then, that was fine. We were recruiting in younger people that could handle the relationships longer term and incorporated them into our culture. Uh, I would say that that's not what we're doing today with One Digital. We are definitely more focused on the younger generation of advisors that, um, again, just either want to de-risk or be part of something larger. And so, you know, I, I would... I wouldn't say that I wouldn't do it again the same way. Uh, I just think it was different. The strategies were different. We're looking at high growth, talented people. Um, whereas before I was looking more for a AUM and revenue growth and, and I, I would figure out the rest uh, as we incorporate them into our practice. Sure. No, I appreciate the color too. And I, and you know, bringing us to that point, uh, say February, right? 2020, which feels like a really long time ago, right? 
um, even if it is just six or seven months. Um, it, what we haven't really gotten into in great detail you know, on this podcast before is it really the challenge of bringing people and companies together when you can't physically be together. Um, so it, it, you don't mind, I think it'd be really helpful just to just spend a few minutes there um, and really think about it in two tracks, right? There's the operational track and sort of the, the actual integration of two or multiple businesses, right? If you're doing multiple acquisitions, but then there's the people side of it as well. And really sort of trying to build a culture of one, right? Mm-hmm. When people don't see each other, meet with each other um, and get the same opportunity to connect that they did in way back when we were all operating in an analog world, right? Um, so maybe we just start on the first side, right? Can you talk us a little bit you know, through what February through now right, has looked like you know, on the one digital and some other sides and you know, what you've been doing to connect the dots on the operational side? Yeah, and you, you're absolutely correct. It does seem like a lifetime ago, uh, having gone through everything. I, you know, one of the reasons why we did an alignment with a larger firm from a strategic acquisition standpoint was because we knew that we were going to have to staff up a lot and carry a lot more expertise in integration. Uh, we would need dedicated HR teams, marketing teams, accounting teams, IT teams. That's just beyond the M&A staff that we would need to get deals done and really staff up. Being part of a large organization and seeing how um, their enterprise, their leadership, their executives responded to COVID and really shifting from, hey, let's just go out and try to sell more clients to, hey, let's be a business consultant and, and try to really help our, cons- our clients that are hurting. Uh, and we can use internal resources. So we knew we were struggling in certain areas. Well, we could extrapolate that and say, well, our clients are probably struggling in that area too. Uh, regardless of whether that was interpretation of the CARES Act or um, how do we go to remote work from home environment um, and do it seamlessly. And so we continued to publish white papers, uh, webinars, constant communication around that. The other thing that, that we really did to bring the teams together is before, again, with travel, coordinating uh, hardware, deliverables, coming on to the network, um, having brand discussions, all those probably would have been done on site. Even if you think about, okay, well, I just brought these teams on, uh, they're now on my payroll. I got to get them on benefits. And so you'd have benefits meetings across the country. Well, all of that went remote. And so it really actually accelerated our response time to be able to do that. We could ship hardware out. Uh, we could have local representation come out and install hardware. And then we would immediately do zoom training. That, that same day that the hardware got installed. And before we might've had a six, seven, eight person team on site to, to do that transition. And now we were able to, to cut travel time and be able to incorporate it. But it really was kind of the shift in what we were focused on, more internal communication, uh, a lot of team building. I mean, we went, um, as we integrated these teams, we may have known the people you know, in the business, but we didn't have a lot of communication with them prior. And so we went to like morning huddles, um, a lot of fun stuff, scavenger hunts around the office and the team huddles, uh, but, but just a lot of corporate communication coming out that really was more around resourcing. You know, how do you feel? How do you deal with depression? How do you deal with multiple kids? Um, we really uh, sourced up, like we even did in-home tutoring. So uh, we have had a corporate resource that 
that you could tap into a national tutor association to help your kids have online studying while you worked and, and things like that. So it was really about uh, focusing on our team members, focusing on our clients' needs, and we f- figured everything else would fall in line. It's interesting because you used the term aggregator before, but you know the way you describe yourself, you're clearly much more of an integrator than an aggregator, right? So how you sort of fare in this type of environment is is really telling. Um, and you did touch on a lot of the operational aspects um, and the technology sort of obviously it shows you know, how you're built and how you can actually be more efficient, right? And a world like this. I am curious, though, just sort of right in between the operations and the culture, um, there's also the management, right, of uh, people and bringing them together. How, how have you approached even knowing how to explain, all right, this is this department, this is who you go to for fill in the blank, and this is the other department, this is who you go to for fill in the blank, just the basic stuff where you might ordinarily just be able to raise your hand, ask somebody who sits next to you, Right, where do I go for more information about benefits, for example? I'll just pick a random. Yeah. Um, well, how just that firm management and communication as well. Yeah. So we do have an onboarding and implementation team. Okay. Uh, as you know, as an RIA, we we tend to uh, once we um, have an acquisition, we tend to to consolidate to one RIA, right? So we have a, a clear onboarding team with a lead point of contact, and yeah, we'll introduce them to the HR team, and and our HR team is is split between kind of the traditional HR and uh, what we call talent management. And so every office had two points of contact, not just one, which probably further uh, led to confusion. But um, but we really felt like we had a single choke point that that information came through and we could help uh, get that team up to speed on who to call and when to call. And, and that's just our kind of regional structure. Sure. Once they're through implementation and onboarding, then there's a business consultant that, that's assigned that really is their day-to-day go-to. And again, they have a list of, you know, all the generic stuff like accounting at RIA, you know, advisors.com. So they can always reach out via more generic things that they are, you know, can can do that and can self-learn and, and kind of get responses over a period of time. But if they need someone that's really more integrated on like, how do I do this? Or do you guys have this resource? then there is a, a lead business consultant that really kind of uh, checkpoints all that communication and, and provide support and help to those individuals. Okay, it's helpful. And then I have to ask, you mentioned scavenger hunts. I've heard of virtual happy hours. I've even heard of yeah. virtual talent shows. What is a virtual scavenger hunt? Yeah, so at the end of a huddle, we'll, we'll put like four or five things up on the, on the screen, the Zoom screen, and uh, you have to go, you know, you'll have like 30 seconds or a minute to go through your house very quickly, grab those items, bring them back. And then whoever has the most items kind of wins points and things like that. So it's a very fun time. And uh, yeah, I, can, I don't know how many more happy hours I could do on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. You very quickly realize that you're by yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Ultimately, right. right? Uh, but no, the scavenger, and I give you a lot of credit, you know, and I've heard from some other firms as well that they've done you know, little things here and there that have really helped. Yeah, from a cultural standpoint, bit by bit, right, brings yeah. teams together who just don't have the normal opportunity right, to connect as they obviously normally would. Um, so thank you for that. Just sort of the last question on this subject, looking back right, on the last six months or so, how would you sort of grade right, the, the actual integration of the two companies? And I'll just put one caveat on that, sort of relative to how it might have gone in a more normal environment. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I, I really think it accelerated it. Um, I think we would have um, had a lot more 
flights, a lot more travel, and a lot more, well, we'll get to you in June after we've made all the other visits to these sites. And now we were uh, able to really execute at a faster pace, execute, um, you know, in parallel, because we have multiple teams. So, so we were able to kind of bring multiple offices on at a time. Whereas before, we, you know, we probably would have had flights and it would have elongated the process. So we, we really felt pretty comfortable with the integration. The other thing that uh, happened just for us was that we were, you know, obviously wanting to work in tandem with the employee benefit side of the firm, which was had long been established. And, and we knew there's only so many corporate directives you can do from the top down to really encourage collaboration and, and trust and, and get cross-sell into the marketplace. Uh, for us, what we found out is because our people were able to just jump on a Zoom meeting, that collaboration built faster up from the ground and, and from the trenches. And again, I, it would have just been, hey, this advisor in New York has to connect with someone you know, in Boston, and they're going to wait to get face-to-face and do a flight. Now it's just, hey, if you got 15 minutes, let's jump on a Zoom meeting. Sure. And so we, we saw that pipeline build up a lot faster in today's environment than I, I think I would have anticipated had we been just a, the, the norm. Oh, absolutely. And you know, we, we've had the same experience. So really sort of interesting the way this is all coming together in 2020. There's no question about that. Just a couple of final questions before we wrap up here. You, you talked a little bit earlier, just as an acquirer, what it is that you've been looking for, right? Um, and what the characteristics are when you're evaluating some opportunities. Maybe look ahead for us for a little bit. Um, what are some of the things that you're looking at um, and what role will acquisition continue to play for you and the team? Yeah, so, you know, for us, again, we're kind of focused in that retirement space. So we're heavy on the retirement advisors. We're definitely, you know, having lots of conversations there with, I think, the standout teams in the country. And we will continue to try to build on the wealth platform. Uh, that's probably traditionally been an area where, you know, while we manage about $4 billion of assets on a discretionary basis in the wealth, which, you know, makes us formidable, but not makes us, you know, like the super, you know, aggregators or, or acquirers in, in that space. And so we truly want to really build out that space. So I think we're, we'll probably on a go forward basis have a, a, a pretty good interest in making sure that we find really talented people there again that can grow the business and, and be leadership play more significant leadership roles in that in that space but we don't see this going away i think we are in the first inning of a nine inning game and uh with acquisitions which is crazy because every time you pick up a headline there's more and more ac- acquisitions and as you guys report through echelon there's you know there's lots of acquisitions going on and every year seems to do more and more and more uh, but it is still really, really early. And I think we're in a unique opportunity where there's more RIAs being formed out there all the time. So it's unlike some universes that's collapsing, you know, as consolidation goes on, our universe is actually still expanding, uh, primarily because of the wirehouse, um, people jumping and forming their own RIAs. So I think it's going to be a very long time, uh, but it's definitely going to be one of those things where you have bigger, larger players in the space that are well capitalized. Excellent. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think the point you made too, just about the focus on wealth management, um, that convergence right between wealth and retirement has definitely been a big theme and something that, you know, I'd ex- I would agree. I'd expect to see more of you or others that are in the space you know, over the remainder of 2020 and into 2021. Um, we, we, 
always try and ask one specific set of questions here, uh, especially for people who are looking to do some acquisitions. It's the requirements and red flags, right? Is what I like to call it. Yeah. Um, so when you're evaluating any opportunity, right? What are some of the requirements, right? That you have, what are the musts, right? And then on the other end, what are the, the red flags, right? Or what are the things that if they don't pass, the, they, they don't pass the smell test, you just kind of move on and that's that. Yeah. Well, and, and just as I previously kind of noted, I mean, it's vision, it's talent, it's a healthy, organic growing business. Uh, it's someone that wants to stay after the acquisition, not, not go away. All of those things, if even if all of those things are met, and, and I've had some, some conversations with some really talented people, like people that I'd be, you know, they would be a great part of our team, but the focus of the business was not in alignment or uh, it just didn't strategically fit in with our business model then uh, we've had to walk away from those deals. And that's hard to do. I mean, these, these are uh, two deals specifically we walked away from this year, had really healthy, um, healthy margins, uh, great people. And we just were, what they really wanted to accomplish just wasn't strategically in alignment with where our focus is today. And, you know, five years from now, maybe that's a great firm and fits right in. So what we need to build today from an infrastructure and and this alignment uh, is paramount. And so even if culturally they would have been a great fit and great people uh, and great EBITDA, which is always nice, uh, we just walked away. Yeah, saying no is sometimes the hardest, but the best thing to do in a lot of these situations when you don't get that vibe that you're talking about. Um, So just a final question we hear before we wrap up. you mentioned 2010 was your first deal, right? Always like to ask if you had to give yourself, your former self, some advice, right? What's one thing you know now about deal making that you wish you knew back in 2010 when you first started engaging in M&A? Yeah, it's probably the exceptions. Uh, I would I would say that we we have, and I'll give you an example of the RIA. Uh, so when we do an acquisition, you know, our preferences is that over a period of time, we would onboard those folks to our RIA, our operations team. You know, we have command and control over the compliance aspects, things like that. The willingness, you can find the perfect team to, that wants to come in and they just don't want to get rid of their RIA or they want to do it over the next three years instead of 12 months or, mm-hmm. or you know, whatever. Breaking down those exceptions leads to downstream integration problems that you just now your team is focused on that instead of being focused on what they need to do efficiently day to day. And so uh, I've, you know, as a salesperson, I'm always looking for, yeah, we can do that. We'll figure it out later. Uh, And every time I I do that, my team cringes and is like, please don't do that. Like this is our model, you know, And, and we have a fairly flexible model anyway. But if you get beyond that, it's really like, let's either try to refocus you back on the, the culture and the vision and what we're trying to accomplish. And these are the great reasons why you want to conform into our model or, or not do the deal. Right. No, I appreciate it. That's a great one. Um, and that, uh, again, that sort of rigor, the, the diligence, right. That is super important. Right. So I appreciate you highlighting the exceptions rule. Um, yeah. We've <laughs> talked about before, but it is important, right? Because then it ends up becoming a free for all. So, yes. Yes. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. Vince, thank you so much for taking some time out. We're you know, on our time right now. So I appreciate you walking us through not just your history, some of your deal-making philosophy, but also really giving us some color 
into some of the acquisitions that you've been recently involved in and really how you're trying to bring everyone, the teams, the people and the organizations all together into essentially one. Um, So thank you so much for sharing. Congrats on a lot of the recent deals and the success that you have all had. And we'll look forward to having you back in the not too distant future so we can talk about all the other activity, right? That you guys have lined up in the pipeline for the future. So Vince, thank you very much for joining us here today. Pleasure having you on Behind the Deal. Excellent. Thanks, Mark. It was fun and I appreciate being a part of it. Thanks so much.